We're continuing in our study of the Gospel of John together, and we are right in the midst of John chapter 6, a very uh, powerful passage. You recall it uh, early, we saw the, the, the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 plus, uh, when that says 5,000 plus, because it said just the men were 5,000, let alone the women and children with them, 15, 20,000 that were fed from five loaves of bread and two fish. And then after that, the remarkable, uh, more private uh, miracle of Jesus walking on the water to his disciples. Well, the next day, the people you know, followed and you know, they were looking for Jesus. They followed him over to the other side of the, of the, uh, the sea and they found him already doing miracles. And that's led to some questions. Remember, one of the things that was uh, troubling at the end of the one of the things that caused Jesus to depart and separate himself was he understood that they were about to try to, to force him to be king. And it's always such an ironic thing. Uh, if you're forcing him to be king, who's really ruling? Who's really running the show? They didn't want him to be that kind of king. They just liked the idea of this was great. Free food. You know, free all these miracles. Well, so, so they went to Jesus and... and, and started talking with him where how'd you get here you could see that they're still thinking about um about him providing that food remember he they asked them the question you know uh, what work must we do you know to to please god and he said well what works you know there what what things give us the list and his response is there's one work believe in the one whom he sent and then I'm going to start reading at verse 30, and on our text is verses 32 to 40, but I'll start reading at verse 30, when they said, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world then they said to him Lord give us this bread always and Jesus said to them I am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, again, the, the, he told them the work, the work that God wants is believe. It's not a work that earns his approval, but you know, what can I do for salvation? Receive the gift by trusting in Jesus as Savior. Relieve in the one whom he sent. And, and, and so instant, they know what he's saying. You want us to believe in you. And so they, they challenge him and say, well, what are you going to do? What, to, so that we know we can believe in you. What miracle would we do? Well, they've just come from feeding 5,000 people. They, they ate the miracle. But what they're saying is, 
Now what more can you do? And basically say, and then, and then they go on and say, um, uh, you know, Moses gave us bread from heaven. One miracle meal is good. You know, that was great. We had a fill, and, and the text said they, they ate to their full. But they want what Moses gave. 40 years nonstop. Wouldn't it be great never have to never have to go to work again? Wouldn't it be great never? Now, some of us think that'd be a horrible thing. Now, I've, I've heard some of those wives out there kind of fearful of their husband's retirement. <laughs> and as it draws close there, you know, you see them looking through the want ads. Here's something you could do. You know, those fellows at Walmart seem to have a really good time. But, but, but anyway, they like the idea. You know, it's hard work. They had, their work was hard. Tell you what, you want us to believe in you? Do that manna thing. Feed us. And, and by the way, keep doing the miracles of wiping out our disease. So again, it's, as I've mentioned before, what they're basically saying is they want free food and free medical care provided by him as king. If you want to be our, our government, then give us the goodies. Give us the free food that we don't have to work for. Give us the free medical care that no one else can match. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You know, they said, Moses gave us bread from heaven, and Jesus is like a gentle teacher, kind of a little correction here. Who gave you the bread from heaven? It wasn't Moses. And if this were a Sunday school class, the answer would, of course, be Jesus. I saw that happen in VBS sometimes. The question would be asked, who did this? Jesus. Well, you've been to Sunday school. That's always the answer. But, but he's just kind of gently reminding them, Moses was a servant. God gave the bread. But then he goes on to say, and God's offering better. Most assuredly, he says, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my father is giving you the true bread from heaven. So he, he first, and, and this is where Jesus, I, I keep being amazed to watch his teaching style. And how far I, how far I fall short from his way, but how he can build up. Slowly he built, and, he, and the way he compares Moses didn't give you, you know, he's looking at the past tense. God did. But notice there's a slight shift. He didn't give you bread from heaven. But my father gives. Now he, there's a change of tense there. He gives you the true bread from heaven. So right there, Jesus is making a shift that he's done so often. How he, uh, he, he, like when he talked to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus starts thinking about, how, how do you do that? How do you physically be born again? I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. The woman at the well. I can give you water. Well, you'll, you'll never have to be thirsty again. Oh, I like that idea, but I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about water. In other words, he, he uses these physical things to illustrate spiritual truth. 
But he does it so subtly, it gets them kind of asking questions. And again, that's, that's so important in his teaching style. He teaches in a way to draw out questions so that they're, help me understand. That's where he wants us to be. Where we come before him and say, Father, help me to understand. When we go through hard times in life, when it's maybe a time of loss or a time of pain or a time of confusion and uncertainty, God delights when we come to him and say, help me understand. We, we get ourselves into trouble when we walk through life and say, I've got it all figured out. He wants us to come to him and say, help me to understand. And so Jesus' teaching is the same way. Moses didn't give you the bread, but God did. And now he is giving the true bread from heaven. Coming down, he, he, Jesus would off, off, often emphasize that he came from heaven. Now, right there, that would get them. What do you mean you came from heaven? Where are you from? Jesus again and again, I came into the world. He would very gently but consistently teach, you know, that he is the God man. What do you mean you came from heaven? In another place when he does that, the, the crowd gets a little, what's he talking about coming from heaven? We know his father, the carpenter. We know his brothers and sisters. What does he mean he, he came from heaven? Again, our Lord throws those things out to make them ask and wonder, what does this mean? Well, he goes on in verse 33, that God is giving the true bread from heaven, verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, in, the, in that part of the world, bread was, when you think of food, you think of bread at that, in this time in history. Meat was very rare. You know, you hear about them eating the fatted calf. Remember, back then, they didn't have refrigeration. And so when they had a big feast, they would, they would have to eat it all. And that's why it was a party. You know, if you, eat, if you slaughter a cow, your, your family's not going to get that done before it goes bad, right? So most of the time, they, were, they, they didn't eat meat. And bread was the most basic staple. And so often, bread means food. And so he describes himself as the one who comes down. He who comes down from heaven and he gives life to the world. See, see bread uh, sustains life. If you go without food, you die. But notice what Jesus says. The bread from heaven doesn't sustain life. It gives life. Again, again he keeps slightly changing categories. You think, well... I can't live without bread. And he's saying, the bread gives life. This, isn't the, this is the bread, not like the bread of Moses, but this bread is, a, is he, a person who comes from heaven and gives life. It's kind of a comfort to me as a teacher. Most of his students didn't get it. Most of his students are, well, a lot of them don't want to get it. They just want, the, they just want food. They want the miracles. 
Well, Jesus said, you know, I'm offering, there's, there's this bread that comes from heaven and gives life. And so in verse 34, they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Again, we want the manna thing. Which, by the way, if you remember the account of manna in the wilderness, God gave them food for 40 years. And what was the end result? They were complaining, saying, oh, this lousy manna from heaven. So that's kind of odd. They, they said, we want this food, bread always. Oh, no, you don't. You'd be just like your ancestors. Miraculously provided food. You'd still find reason to complain. But he doesn't say that. Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. When they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always, that reminds me, we're in chapter 6, that reminds me back in chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember she said when he, he talked to her, you know, I've got water, you'll never thirst. What did she say? Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst and come here to draw. That sounds great. Uh, th- that's the best sport drink there, there is. You'll never thirst. You'll never need to. And, and again, water was a hard thing for them. You had to go to that cistern or well and haul that up. I mean, it was such hard and dreary work. They wisely determined only women should do that. <laughs> but she was saying, give me this water. That I don't have to work so hard. And then I can be satisfied. Well, he wasn't talking about himself there. He was talking about the Holy Spirit that he would give. But, but the question's similar, isn't it? Lord, give me this water that I'll never thirst. What do they say? Give us this bread always. And Jesus isn't talking here about the Holy Spirit, but himself. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, if you're walking through the book of John, you will find seven times where Jesus says, I am blank. He says in verse, chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, verse 12, and 9, 5, if you're taking notes, 8, 12, and 9, 5, I am the light. In chapter 10, verses 7 and 9, 10, verses 7 and 9, I am the gate. In chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, chapter 10, 11 and 14, I am the good shepherd. I love that passage. It's going to be a while, but I'm looking forward already to when we spend time with it. In chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Boy, that's one of those precious identities of Christ. In chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In chapter 15, verses 1 and 5, chapter 15, verses 1 and 5, I am the true vine. So Jesus here is saying, I am the bread of life. Again, that, they understood bread. That's what you eat. That's, that's, that's the substance of food and life. And he's saying not the bread that sustains, but the bread that gives. It's really appropriate, though, too, when you think about bread. How do you get bread? It's pretty simple. You drive over to Kroger's. How do you get bread? You take that grain, and it has to be cut down. And then it has to be beaten 
so you can separate the, the, the wheat berries from the, the chaff. And then it has to be ground down, crushed, and then put into the furnace. What a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. His life cut short, beaten, crucified, and that's a description. We say at the Lord's table, this is my body which is broken for you. Every time I think of that, I'm so stunned by the passage in Isaiah 53 when it says, The Lord was pleased to crush him. Bread must be beaten and crushed. And then the fire. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The fire of God's wrath. What, when he says he's the bread of life, there is so much truth in that. Most of it right over their head. They're still thinking free food. Now in verses 36 to 40, Jesus addresses the fact that most of them are not responding in faith. I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. He mentioned to them, you saw the sign, you saw the miracles, but you didn't see the sign. You only saw the bread. In other words, they were asking the wrong question. Instead of, wow, this is great. How do we get more? They should have been saying, well, one of, some of us might have said, how did you do that? And that would have been a better question. But the real question should have been, who are you? And again, I've mentioned already when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus stilled the storm, they said, who is this that the storm hears his voice? The question they should have been asking is, who are you that you do these things? So they saw the, they saw the sign, but all they really saw was the bread when they should have seen the bread and looked to the sign that pointed to Christ. They missed the point. And Jesus said, I said to you, you've seen me, but you do not believe. I showed you. I showed you who I am. But you still don't believe. In verse 37, he goes on and says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. What's he saying here? He's explaining and giving insight to their unbelief. How is it that you can see these incredible miracles that, frankly, Moses never did that? John the Baptist never did a miracle. I have, dis I have, di I have made disease disappear from whole regions of Israel. I have fed out of a couple of fish and loaves of bread. How is it they don't believe? He explains it. All that the Father gives me will come to me, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I'll be by no means cast out. What Jesus is, and, and here's an interesting thing to think about. Jesus is saying that every believer 
is God's gift, God the Father's gift to the Son. Now, some of us look like those gifts that you return after Christmas. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> but but, but, but what, what he's saying is, and it's a remarkable thing to consider, but what he's saying is, every believer is the Father's gift to the Son. You might know and think about this, is, this relates to the doctrine of election. And here we see that God is the one who chooses and enables those who will believe. Their believingness, if, I could, if that's a word, their faith and their salvation is God's gift to them and God's gift to the Son. And so Jesus is explaining who is it that believes in him? Those whom the Father gives them to believe. Sometimes that's called deeper or, or solid truth. We see this in that passage most of us would know from memory in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you're saved through faith. It's salvation that is, is, is God's it, grace, and it's it accomplished through faith. For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Lest any man should boast. See, if it was something I accomplished, I'd be boasting in it. Look at what I did. But instead, we find ourselves, look what God did. And we're humbled. Because instead of saying, I deserve it, pat me on the back, we're saying, I don't deserve this. How could he do it? And, and frankly, when I think of the thought that I'm, I am God, the Father's gift to the Son... I think the son got the raw end of that deal. <laughs> but but that, that God would consider me a gift to his son. That's humbling. It shatters pride. It shatters pride. But what he's saying is, why don't you believe? The father didn't give you to me. And he'll go on in chapter 6 and say even more. But here he's talking about the sovereignty of God and, 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 and the initiative of God in salvation. It is God's gracious work that where he chooses some to believe in the Son and he enables them by grace through faith you're saved. Now for the believer who understands that truth, they say amen and they acknowledge it's not me. It's not me. My friend Charles Spurgeon one time was preaching to a, a, a Methodist crowd that denied the, this doctrine. And, he, and they knew that he affirmed the doctrine of God's sovereignty. And they were kind of, you, know, you can tell sometimes when you've got a crowd that doesn't want to listen to you. And he, they didn't want, and then he said, I'm going to convince you if my doctrine is truth. And, they, and you can just see it in their eyes, oh, no, you won't. And he just simply said, uh, today, if, you are, if you're a child of God, you recognize that your, your, your salvation is a glorious blessing, right? Amen. And if you're a child of God today, who gets the glory? You or God? And they all say, well, God does. He said, that's all I'm saying. God did it. God did it. Well, now, some hear the doctrine God chooses, God selects, 
Well, how do I know if, if I'm elect and should believe? How do I know I'm of, does that exclude me? Well, the next part of the verse kind of answers that. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. You don't have to worry about if you're elect. You just need to worry about trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior. And what here, here the assurance, you don't figure out first if you're elect. All you do is you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ again and again extended the invitation to everybody. But come unto me, all you who, who are weary and heavy laden. And here's the promise. If you come to Jesus Christ with saving faith, he will never reject you. He will never cast you out. So, and, and by the way, then, then you figure out, oh, then I guess I was elect. <laughs> it's been said that, that heaven, there's a door with a sign on two, with different signs on one side, on I guess the earthward sign, uh, to whoever believes. On the other side of the sign, look at the heavenward sign, it says, those who are elect. God's, we, we show God's election in our life by trusting in him. But again, don't, that's not an excuse for saying, well, I don't think I'm elect. What Jesus says is, anyone who comes to me, I will never reject or cast him out. And that word, by no means, that expression, by no means, in the Greek language, it's the strongest possible construction. It, it's, a, it's, it's a double negative. Um, when we put, in English, if we have a double negative, that means it, it's a positive. You know, the negatives cancel. In Greek, a double negative means really negative. Um, you could, I, I, I tried to find different ways translations handled it. Um, ESV and others, never. Um, the New King James, by no means. Uh, King James, no wise. The NASB, certainly not. I think if I were called it onto the translation committee, I might put in here, no way, no how. It actually, it somehow it's getting it across absolutely never cast out. That's important because sometimes after we've trusted Christ, we feel like, boy, I have so messed up, he's going to cast me out. But Jesus said, no way, no how. In verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. No one will get cast out because it's not up to me. I do my Father's will. Why do people believe it's the Father's will to give them to the Son? Why are accept, uh, believers accepted in Christ? It's the Father's will. That's what he's saying. And Jesus again and again says, I do my Father's will. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me. He, you notice how it always is saying, I'm sent by the Father. I'm sent by the Father. He keeps giving glory to God the Father. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Those words all or nothing actually are singular in the, in the Greek. And to me it emphasizes not one will be lost. I, I saw several times as I peeked in on various aspects of VBS of of um, you know, you, you could see the head counting going on, two, three, four, five, six, and and I never once saw, you know, a couple times I saw. Okay, wait a minute, six. We're supposed to have seven. Where's number seven? Oh, he's okay. Bring, we'll wait for seven. 
I never someone say, five, well, we're supposed to have seven. That's not bad. Let's move on. <laughs> That's not going to work. And, and, and notice what Jesus is saying. Not one comes short. Of, uh, he has given to me and I should, that I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Jesus always, always does his Father's will perfectly. I could ask for a show of hands how many can claim that of their own life. And the only one who would raise their hand is a boastful liar. We know better, right? But Jesus got it right always. And what did he say is, my Father's will is I don't lose a one. So what does that mean? He's not going to lose one. Jesus cannot fail. He will not fail. And he has, and, and what he's saying here is, um, God entrusted us to the Son. And he said, and you keep him. You keep her. Well, Jesus again and again makes it clear, I always do exactly what my Father tells me. And Jesus said, when he gave me to his son. He says, you keep him. Anyone who comes, I will know eyes cast out. So if, if we're God's gift to the, the son, he won't cast us out. And then he says, I will lose nothing. Sometimes believers will wrestle with, you know, well, can you lose salvation? Partly that's because they're looking at it as something somehow they accomplished by their good works or whatever it might be. But when we recognize my salvation is God's gift to the Son. And have you ever had something precious and, and handed over to someone? These days I think of grandchildren like that. But, but if you're entrusted with the care of something and you're told, do not drop it. Do not lose it. You want to take that seriously. God the Father says to the Son, here is my gift to you. Don't lose a one. Can I lose my salvation? Can Jesus disobey his Father? Can Jesus fail? You see what he's saying? My salvation is, is God's work, God's gift to the Son, and it's the Son's work to keep me. I'm as secure as Jesus is strong. Not as I'm strong. He's got a hold on me. He has given all that has been given to me. He says, this is my Father's will, and I always do my Father's will. He has given me that I should lose nothing, but raise it up at the last day. There he's looking forward to the resurrection. When, with a voice, will be called out of the grave. And once again, there's not going to be this count up in heaven and say, well, we're about 20 or 30 short, but that's okay. Not one is left behind. Not one of God's children will be missed. From the very beginning to the very end, he keeps his promises. He secures what he does. Verse 40 goes on to say, this is the will of him who sent me. Again, emphasize it. My Father's will. My Father's will. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is God's will. 
And I'm going to do what God, my father tells me. He's trying to, as strongly as he can, say, this is God's secure work. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. If it's God's will that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him would have everlasting life. Well, that, now, we might say, well, wait, I've never seen the Son, so do I, does that count? He's talking about the eyes of faith. I've always so appreciated what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, speaking of Jesus Christ, whom, and just the two words before at the end of verse 7 is Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's one of the miracles of faith. I've never seen Jesus Christ with my eyes, but I love him. How can you love someone you haven't seen? Because with the eyes of my heart, I've seen him. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says that everyone who sees the Son with the eyes of faith, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Through the eyes of faith, when we believe in him, we have, at that moment, everlasting life. Remember, Jesus with Mary and Martha could say, if you believe in me, you won't die. Well, my body will die, but I won't die because I have everlasting life. And so he says that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came. To accomplish the Father's purpose that we might have life in him. As we look at this passage, just some quickly, some things that we can gain from it. Our greatest need is not food. Our greatest need is not health. Our greatest need is not in the temporal, physical things. Our greatest need is Jesus Christ. That's such an important thing to remember because sometimes we get all caught up in, I've got to have this, I've got to have that. In the ancient church, there was a, 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 a believer who came to one of the pastors and said, to, you know, I, if, I, if I deny Christ, um, I, I, you know, if, if I don't deny Christ, if I don't offer incense to Caesar, I'll die. And the pastor basically said something like, so? That's not the most important issue. What is the most important thing that drives your life? Jesus says, if you get it right, you don't need the bread of the body. You need the bread from heaven. You need the bread of life. You need Jesus Christ. That is the greatest need, the greatest gift of each one of us. Jesus introduced a very important truth in this passage. God is sovereign in salvation. Those who come to faith in Christ... That's because of what God the Father has done in choosing us and giving us as a gift to his son. My faith is the Father's gift to the son. That's why I believe. So there's no pride in that. There's humble gratitude. And who gets the glory? You know, I, I, I see us surrounding the, the throne of, of God in heaven. And turning to the person next to us and say, you know what? I don't deserve to be here. It's God's grace. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was all a gift. 
I lived in rebellion. I lived in darkness. And he turned the light on. And the person next to you will say, me too. It's God's glory. My security in Christ, you know that concept sometimes called eternal security? God's gift to the Son is my salvation. The Son's gift to the Father is my security. We sometimes talk about Fort Knox, you know, where the gold of America is in storage. That's nothing compared to the security of being in Jesus Christ. And he will keep me secure. Again, some will say, well, well, how do I know if I'm elect? What if I'm not elect? What did Jesus say? I won't, I won't reject one person who comes to me in faith. You want to believe in Jesus Christ? The issue is not election. The issue is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will not cast you out. That's the issue. See your need of a Savior, that, that you are a sinner separated from God. See the fact that Christ died on the cross, not for his guilt, but for yours, and offers you salvation through faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and not a one will be cast out. It's personal. The story is told uh, of an elderly man, kind of a hard-to-get-along-with old guy in town, Mr. Klein. He, he's described as a miserable old man. Uh, it said he, he had lived every way which every which way but good, fought every battle but the good fight, and he knew it. He wasn't worthy of anyone's friendship, and so he reached out to no one. He was a loner, miserable old Mr. Klein. He didn't go to church, as he thought the back pew was too far forward for someone like him. He wasn't proud of his sin. He was painfully aware of it. But he just considered himself an outcast from God and society. One Sunday, he was walking by the church in the neighborhood one Sunday, and he heard um, the children singing. And, and he heard the words that he'd heard the melody before, but this time he heard the words. They were singing and rejoicing, and once again, he felt his loneliness and despair hitting him, that he wasn't a part of such things. For just a moment, he paused, and he listened. And he heard the melody. He had heard it before, but now he listened. He heard the words of the hymn. Saved by grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for old man Klein, and Jesus died for me. He was shocked. What? He was in their hymn book? Jesus died for old man Klein? There's a hymn with his name in it. He couldn't resist. He slipped into the back of the church, opened up the hymn, hymnal and figured out where they were singing. And, 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 and he knew that for the first time the gospel was for him. But, he, but of course, as he read, it said Jesus died for all, all mankind. But he knew what he heard. And after all, mankind did include him. So when it's easy to say Jesus died for our sins. In saving faith, we say Jesus died for my sins. Have you personally come to recognize Jesus Christ died for you? That, you know, John Newton, now we sing it more clearly with, right, amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a bunch of people. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind. 
But now I see. Have you received the gift of the bread of life? The one who was cut down, beaten, crushed, put in the fire of our judgment that he might give us life. Have you received it? Have you noticed something about bread? It really doesn't do much for you unless you eat it. Now, I can remember some of you old folks can remember driving down Central Expressway and you'd cross Mockingbird and there was Mrs. Baird's Bakery. You smelled it. And your first thought is, I've got to go buy a loaf of bread. Well, they're not there anymore. But, but all the smelling of the world really didn't satisfy. In fact, it kind of made you hungrier, didn't it? What do you do with bread to benefit from it? You receive it into your body. How do you benefit from the bread of life from heaven? You receive him into your life by entrusting yourself to him as Savior. And having trust in Jesus Christ, he'll keep you. J.C. Rowell said it this way, No soldiers of Christ are ever lost, missing, or left dead on the battlefield. Not one will be remarked as the unknown saint or missing in action, kept, so that when Jesus is there in heaven, he can turn to the Father and say, All you gave me are with me. To God be the glory. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, the bread you sent from heaven, who always did and does your will. Father, we confess... We marvel that you would think to give us as a gift to your son. But we thank you that in giving us to the son, you charged him to keep us. And so, Father, we come to you and give you all the glory for the gift of life eternal. How I pray, Father, if any here have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, open their eyes to see and believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.